amazing the connections, how small the world really is. And uh, back when I was that parole officer, what Pastor Todd didn't tell you is I was almost on parole before I became one. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> my friends expected me to end up in the courthouse, but not on that side of the bench. Praise God for that, because he was the only reason that happened. I want to, before I begin, uh, share with you another connection. Uh, one of my closest friends in the world, who um, was the tight end that I threw to as quarterback. Yes, I know it's hard to imagine that I was a quarterback in high school. In that same town that Pastor Todd was talking about is here uh, as a special guest uh, uh, for me. He and his wife, that's Jim and Peggy Pointer. Jim, you came up. Thank you. Right there. Let's stand up. I want him to see you because, oh, Peggy didn't make it. That's okay. Thanks, Jim. But I want to tell you, Jim and Peggy have a tremendous gift of hospitality. They live right here in Arlington. After he graduated high school and then college at Penn, he saw the light and came to Texas. Okay? And been very successful in real estate holdings and business, etc. But their gift of hospitality is second to none. So I want to take the liberty to invite each of you to their home during the Dallas Cowboy game today. He said I could say that as long as I didn't give you the address. Uh, so I don't have to say any of this at the end. Uh, oftentimes when I give this message, there are those that want to know more or see more. And uh, graciously, the Bethesda Church has given us a table and our executive assistant, uh, Janelle Woodruff, and I'm not sure if she's here now. She may, oh, there she is. She's back there so she can be at the table. You'll see Janelle. She hails from San Antonio. So I guess all the great talent comes from Texas, right? And She'll be back there to answer questions or opportunities or, or material, and I don't like to make this a commercial thing because anything that's offered back there, uh, I have a commitment under God to make this material ministry available, whether it can be afforded or not. I don't want that to be the issue, and I hope that offsets any of the commercially part of it. God is our provider, and if you feel led to seed in by purchasing, uh, we love you. And if you need help from us, we love you. So take that help, and we'll do whatever we can. Uh, descriptions of how to follow us on the basis of going through our online journey uh, or even Skyping with our counselors in this method, depending on whether or not it awakens you in the area that you might feel helpful or leading others that you know may be hurting. Let me begin by reading from Exodus uh, 15, and this begins at verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, remember Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and he made them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in, the, in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. This is the place where Jehovah Rapha, 
the Lord that healeth was, was revealed. In Exodus 15, 26, let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit anoint through each one of us. Anoint the words that I speak, that they be your words, not my words. That anything not of you would be stripped from the remembrance of those who hear. That you would anoint all hearts to be open to receive that which you want each heart to hear. That we would not be hearers only, but doers of the word. We pray that everyone would be blessed as a measure of their obedience before you. Before this day, this service is even closed. In Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. The uh, interesting, there is a tree called the Moringa tree. It's called the Mara tree that has been found, particularly in the Middle East, to be thrown into bitter waters, waters with sediment in them, and bring them to purify that. It's amazing how God uses all things. He uses analogies in the natural world to reveal supernatural truth. So profound is this. But you know that the, that the tree that was, flown, that was thrown into that water represented the cross, a bittersweet sacrifice that took away the bitterness in the hearts that can so bind us. I want you to see the context of this. The Israelites were freed from the bondage of Egypt. That represents the born-again experience. God had to do it all. We place our faith in Jesus Christ, for by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. God released the Israelites, and they became free And in a sense, the equation to the born-again experience leads them to the Red Sea with Pharaoh on their heels and opens the Red Sea, and they walk through under those waters, not touched by them, but under them as a measure of the baptism. But you see, the experience or the fullness of God's release represented the fact that they were released from the bondage of sin. In John 8, 34, it says, "...whosoever commits sin is a servant to sin." In the day of spiritual salvation, we are broken in the bondage of sin over us. That doesn't mean we don't make the wrong decision sometimes. That doesn't mean we don't make the wrong decision a lot of times. And we have one who will forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sin. 1 John 1, 9. Immediately after coming through the waters of the Red Sea, not touched by that water, the first place they are led is right here in Exodus 15. Why this place? God always has purpose. You see, the waters of Marah represented the bitterness. The bitter waters represented the bitterness in the Israelites. Even though they were freed by the living God, the supernatural experience of the power of Egypt broken, the power of sin broken, they're free externally, from the slave is taken from his bondage. But it's not over here. You see, because when they came there, what happened was they're reflecting from the Mara pool is the very bitterness that's washing and sloshing within them. You've heard many times, I'm sure, you can take the slave out of bondage, but it's a whole other thing to take the bondage out of the slave. The impact of the bitterness that was being reflected in them was based upon the resentments that they held from the people that they felt betrayed them. They oh so often felt that the people, that, that God had not answered them for all those hundreds of years in the slavery that they, that they were bound in. And they were so angry at all the false hopes that they had. And the, the railing on one another, 
They were devouring even one another in the bondage of Egypt. Well, they may have escaped the power of Egypt by God's hand, but they have not yet escaped the power of the binding of bitterness within them. Marrow was that representation. Consider what happens when that occurs. Now, the first thing I want to show you, I'm going to show you some slides that are going to come up. Uh, they're much more easier to look, look at on the screen than me up here. This is the soul. I want you to know a psychologist studies the soul. Actually, the word suki, P-S-U-C-H-E, is Greek for the soul. And it's the root then of P-S-Y, P- <laughs> let's see, P-S-Y-C-H-O, psycho, added to ology. That's the study of the soul coming from the Greek word. Now, when people come to me because they have certain afflictions that they need to be healed, two things you need to know. The best I can do is awaken them to that affliction. And then the other thing is to point them to God. Anything other than that is an exercise in futility. Only God is the healer. He that healeth. Every message you hear, heard here, the messages in the, that anointed music was all the theme of healing. Your name, Bethesda, means house of healing, place of mercy. The very reason the naval hospital is named Bethesda, focusing primarily on the body. But God wants us to look at the potential of the healing within the soul. You see, when you let God see into our souls what might be hindering us in our walk in the Spirit, then the healing goes forth first in the soul, and guess what? Oftentimes the body will also be the benefit of soul restoration. So now you see that the intention of coming to a psychologist is the hope of being healed, but the truth is the psychology can't heal you, nor can I. He restoreth my soul, Psalm 23.3. What we're looking for is restoration. And anything short of restoration will not be enough. So in our intellect, we see our thoughts, our ideas, our dreams, our knowledge. Remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5, the stronghold verse? This is written to believers. believers. You see, this is an epistle. Any letter written to the church, and this is the church at Corinth, Corinth says that church, wake up. Paul, under the anointing, is saying, you're to cast down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, casting down imaginations are in the intellect. Where do those imaginations come from? They come from a stronghold within the heart. You see, man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. We tend to see everything on the outside. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were looking at, oh, no. Pharaoh's coming after us. They're looking behind them. God had already set them free. And they're murmuring and saying, oh, he set us free just to be devoured here and slaughtered at, at the Red Sea. And then God opens up the sea because they see the sea on the other side and they say, oh, no, now, now we're, we're done. We're done. And they're never trusting within, never trusting and believing what God's going to do. I want you to pay close attention to memories that are imprinted upon the intellect. Then we go to the emotions. The emotions are our feelings, our passions, our attitudes. I want you to think when I point here, that's your intellect. And I point here to the heart, that's your feelings, your passions, your attitudes. Which means what I think determines what I feel. Thirdly, what I think and feel determines how I act. Now, this is what people see. They see my behavior. They hear my words. They watch my actions. They watch my inaction. Failure to act when you know 
you are to act also reveals who we are. You see, as a man thinks in his heart, that's who he is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. Any therapist, counselor, psychologist that fails to ask God to show them the heart, first of all, their own heart, and then the heart of another is a blind guide. They may mean well, but they're not going, it's not going to go well in terms of the journey of the navigation to that person's healing. The intellect, the emotions, and the will. Let me give you a firing order. Remember the first time, those of you that are married, that you went out with your husband or wife. The first date that you had. The next day, in the theater of your mind, you thought about what a pleasant experience it was. Now, this only works if it was a pleasurable experience. <laughs> so, let's, let's assume it was. And as the theater of your mind cycled, it stirred in your heart feelings of passion, of romance, of desire. In your will, you called that person up, you bought them a gift, and so it goes. And that's how the soul operates. You don't have to think for the soul to process and interweave. And I need to digress a minute and say, the soul is not the spirit. The soul is the uh, part that I connect with you on. I connect my intellect with you, my emotions with you, my time, my action, my behavior. The spirit, you see, is where I connect with God. When I surrendered to Christ that Sunday after Thanksgiving, 1976, his spirit bore witness with my spirit that I was his child, Romans 8, 16. That's where he communes. And you say, but I think of God in my mind. You do. So do I. That's like the screen on the hard drive of the computer. It images what we know to be true in our spirit. But I feel the presence of God in worship. Yes, that's the communion in the spirit, com communing through the emotions of our soul. But I know that I've got to make some right decisions in my life. That's the conscience in the spirit, imaging on the will, that that which be known of God is manifest in us that we are without excuse. Now, let's suppose the memory of the person has times of being kicked, beaten, ridiculed, scorned, abused, rejected, neglected, abandoned, betrayed, things that you and I can't, we, we, we can't predict for our lives as we come into this very painful fallen world. There will always be impact upon the soul by the things that are happening in and around us and to us and through us. Did you know that the symbiotic bond is such a powerful, integrated union between mother and fetus, and it's not a fetus, mother and child in her, that that child will wear the impact of any violation that may be happening with the mother. Not just that. The umbilical cord is not just a nutrient connection. With it comes the neurotransmitters that may be under, out of balance as a result of the mother being in distress or uh, being alone, hurting or rejected. That child will never be able to recollect in his or her brain of a memory what was happening, but that child will live out of a function of the imprint upon the heart. But the good news is God has given a provision for them to walk through that healing. They don't have to remember what they can't remember. They will see evidence in their life that there was a place where there may have been compromise. This is not to put any mother in some type of false guilt because the father's just or more as responsible. It's not about that. 
because we can't control our circumstances at times either. I just want you to know that the impact of what happens to us out there will never go without a response within our soul. We're fearfully and wonderfully made to think we can somehow live outside of the impact of what we do with one another. That's what was happening with Israel in their murmurings and their lack of faith. And that's what happens today. The wisdom writer of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. We're experiencing the same type of thing. I'm drawing from a message that I'm preparing called um, uh, Mara, uh, Manna, and Murmur. And they're all tied together. And this we see from the experience of the Israelites. Now we go to the relationship sequence. Once again, all this is available to you. If you don't want to take the time to draw it, I just want you to know we have this for you. This God breathed through me as a result of my walk. I was uh, the son, the middle son, older brother and sister, younger brother and sister, five children, two parents, born into a family of great conflict. Such conflict that we, it, it kind of went down the food chain. When there was a lot of anger in my parents in their toxicity of their marriage, even in spite of the fact that they truly did love one another. But it was the type of thing they could only handle each other in small doses. Well, 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 the impact of that upon the children meant that everybody was fighting for the place at the dinner table, not so much to eat, although that did occur, but also to be able to be noticed and understood. So much so that everybody talked at once. Nobody was listening to the other. They were just talking over and under. And it, be, it, it, was, a, it was an experience in my life that became my normal. And out of that experience was born fruit from that affliction. You see, affliction is not sin. Affliction comes to us largely by the sin of another against me. And not just the sin of another against me, but the default of another against me or toward me. So you see, that's why when we look for wounding within we don't look for someone to blame or vilify or dishonor. We look for the source of that pain. We have included in your bulletin a little checklist. Now, that checklist is really not so much sin scripted there. There's a few areas that could be regarded as sin, but it's a checklist that shows you that there might be places of affliction from interpersonal conflict in your life. If you have two or more of those, it's a, very, it's a very good thing to walk through the restoration of your soul. After all, that's what Paul meant when he said, worketh out your own salvation in fear and trembling. It was not a contradiction of spiritual salvation, which is all by Christ, all by faith, all by the shed blood that you can add nothing to or take anything away. Regeneration of the Spirit is all God. The restoration of the soul is our surrender to that which we maybe up until this point haven't seen. So that little assessment is an opportunity to tell you, why does this happen? Why do I experience this? We call this fruit. Fruit is the evidence of that which is not seen, which means it has a root. And I will tell you, human secular psychology does not know causal issues. They kind of fly by the seat of their pants. They feel they're getting closer to it. But the script of the truth that Christ always had the causal issue. And the, the cause is what leads to the solution. The source leads to solution. 
I have to operate on a book called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, filled with a litany of the symptoms, major depressive disorder, PTSD. Oh, sad, here's one, seasonal affective disorder, anxiety attacks, panic attacks. It's a literal book of every affliction you could imagine that's given name and litany of symptoms. It has a conspicuous absence of two things, source and solution. How did I get it? And what do I do about it now that I have it? I don't know about you, but it seems to me that might be more important. And that's why the, the doctors of the body, the internists, first have to do tests to find the source that is unseen to give you the answer of the symptoms, the fruit, that are coming forth from you. So the people come to me for the symptom. And if you want to know where I got all of these items that are on that little checklist, I started first with me, my life. So just about everything on there I had experienced or have experienced, the rest I drew from people that come to me. If you have two or more, you could really benefit from walking through what I call through the Calvary experience, which is the rest restoration of the soul. I call it restoring relationships because what people really want is the fullness of the communion, of the closeness with their most precious relationships. You've heard me say, the people we love the most are the ones who have the capability of hurting us the worst. Wherever two or three are gathered, we offend one another. Right? The question is, where will we take it? So as we look now at the relationship sequence, just do a personal evaluation right now in your life. First as a child, real quick, and then as an adult. We start at 12 o'clock. The blue represents the water of healing. Blue water washes, cleanses, purifies. There's the healing water at the pool of Bethesda. Mutuality is the only word on the whole diagram that we don't use in everyday dialogue. Let me define it. Reciprocity. <laughs> we don't use that very much either. If I'm engaged in a relationship with my wife and she's pouring more into me than I am pouring into her, the relationship is not mutual. She does not need a slide rule or a calculator to calculate the fact that she's giving more than she's getting. Neither do you or I. You can't live very long before you are on the receiving end of a person who's giving less to you than what you're giving to them, or you're giving less to them than what they're giving to you, and you hear the script and it goes something like this, are you even listening to me? You come home and you're still at work. No, I'm not. I'm not at work. I'm right here. I see it in your eyes. You're still at work. And I want to show you a route as to why that happened. My dad, whether it was to try to motivate me or not, not the issue, he represents the most important man in my life. Let me tell you the words that echoed over my heart and overrode and silenced the truth about trusting God and that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, you're not be successful. You will not mount to anything. Now, I know you, you, you may feel you're vilifying your dad. Oh, no. No, he was very truthful about this. God has taken him home and we had great restoration. And I want you to know that I, too, place that same curse as an iniquity upon my children, setting them up to fail. I can't tell you how liberating it is to be able to express that and hear them when we do these encounters for a day and a half, read their letters. You might say, wow, you do that? Oh, yeah, it's so liberating. It's so to know that I don't have the expectation that I have to do everything right. The truth is I never did anyway. The truth is from the Scripture, we never could. So what was the echo with my father? I felt like I would never succeed. I didn't know that. 
You say, well, you just told me you heard that. Yes, but I didn't know it had that kind of impact over my life. So when I left work, I was still at work. When I would throw the ball with my son Joseph, he'd see my eyes and say, Dad, pay attention. Why? I was still there. I'd place my wife and kids on the altar of sacrifice for my ministry. Led me to say that many a man and a woman hides out in ministry. Not that ministry is bad, but it's not good in the context of trying to silence echoes or prove to the world first to God that I have value in me when he has already spoken that value in me. Then why didn't I hear that? Because it was hindered by the voice of failure. Therefore, my wife would come to me and she would challenge me with the fact that I was detached. I'd look at her like another voice of failure. I didn't process that. I just reacted to it. But that's what was happening. She had the right to challenge me. She had the right to awaken me. And I took it as, I'm still a failure. Whose issue is that? Mine. 100%. The problem is, if you try to reason out here, in my head, to the infection in my heart, the imprint of that echo, it's like trying to reason cancer out of a man. You'll never do it. He needs to be cleansed from the infection in his body. I needed to be cleansed from the infection in my soul. So you see what happens after mutuality? We feel rejected. And you know what the first thing to go is? Trust. The trust erosion will occur right there. The relationship begins to erode. And we have to fight carefully in this fallen world to recover that trust by opening our hearts to understanding the pain that we're inflicting on others. A relationship then goes down the road of testing. A relationship that can't be tested is a relationship that can't be trusted. Jesus himself said that it is impossible, but that offenses will come. That's how we are tested. That's Luke 17.1. He was saying to his disciples in a rebuke, stop looking for a relationship among fallen people, as yourself fallen, that you're not going to be offended. I came among you. And I've been offended the worst. That's why he's a great high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. The offenses come in two forms as we advance here, intentional and by default. The easiest offenses to identify among those that we love are the offenses of intent, the abuse, the berating, the cursings against us, the uh, deliberate devaluing. But the offenses by default have the same kind of pain. The age of 14, when my parents their relationship ended up in divorce, the impact of that was such that it it had one of the worst sensations within my soul, not believing that any relationship would ever have staying power, that I could never trust the next relationship. It eroded so much of belief in my heart. But the Lord, in His Word, would counter that. But I wouldn't live at the power of the Word. I would live at the power of the infection of my heart. It overrode. You see, that's why the Lord looks at the heart with regard to our affliction. So now what happens is I'm being offended by default and by design. Now, before you think it sounds like a pity pot, that's not what this is about. David said in his repentance psalm that thou desires truth in the inward parts, that thou shalt make me to know wisdom. When we speak out of the truth of the experience of our pain, for the first time we own that pain and not the pain owning us. But if we live at the level where pain owns us, we will be uh, in, in the experience of so much regrettable behaviors among those we trust the most. 
So you see the default then leads to, and we're going to go to the red, the red script, hurt, hate, harm. This is all of psychology right here, simplified. I had the chairman of the psychology department at Penn State in Salt Lake City, Utah. I had this on an old overhead projector with no amplification of its truth. He came up, and I'm not sure, I don't believe that he knew the, the truth of God. But he said, in 45 minutes, you just unlocked the whole secret of the purpose and the core understanding of psychology. Now, I give all that credit to God. He breathed this through me, literally, in 20, 25 minutes. It just came out. For one reason, because I walked it. They that do truth shall come to the light. If we speak the truth within, he will bring wisdom. Not just healing. He brings wisdom. At the hurt place, we detach, we pull away, we shut down. This red road is a painful road. It's the place of infection. That's why it's red. It's a place of hot temperament. I remember my kids used to say, Dad, chill. Cool down. Why? I was hot. The carotid arteries, you know, the face would explode. And then the hurt and detachment, which is a natural response of the wound, would go to hate. Now, we don't like to look at that word hate because, well, you know, we're believers. We don't hate. Let me, just, let me just try to say this on the basis of God's truth. He wrote more about hate in those epistles, in some of those epistles, than he did about love. Even in 1 John, he went back and forth in the Apostle John. If a man hates his brother, he walks in darkness and he stumbles and knows not where he goes because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3.15, written to the believer, an epistle. The heathen weren't reading epistles. They wouldn't have understood them. If a man hates his brother, he is a murderer. So now hate comes from a root of bitterness, whereby springing up many be defiled. And I want to bring this now to a close soon. Harm. This is not just harming someone else. This is harming myself. You know those children, those beloved children you have, they may do their homework assignments but then fail to turn them in? They literally sabotage their grades. You know what they're doing? They're sending a message. That what may be most important to you, Dad, is not most important to me. You look ahead, Dad. You want me to protect my future and get a good education. I know that's good counsel. But a brilliant mind and a strong body with an infected heart? Isn't the heart more important? What about our relationship? Why is there so much of you trying to fix me when, in fact, you can't? You can't fix me. But could you understand me that you could walk in this pain with me? I didn't know how to do that. Furthermore, when he would confront me, my son Joseph, I couldn't handle the truth. So I shut it down. I sent it a very powerful message. I'm not interested in hearing your heart. And I'm not interested in walking through your pain with you. The truth is, I was. But I had a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear creates bondage. We no longer have the spirit of bondage again to fear. Small s. We now have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8.15. Written to the church. The number one spirit that hinders us from the fullness of what God has in the restoration of our soul. So, when I'm offended, first I hurt, then I hate, then I harm. A person who's imploding pain can harm themselves in major depressive disorder where this bitterness becomes a pool, a stagnant pool of toxicity within them. And when you hit the wrong lever, there'll be a fountain 
the root of bitterness, whereby springing up many be defiled. Let's close out the slides with this bitterness tree. The bitterness tree is in our journal, is an opportunity to see just examples of unseen violations in our lives, both intentional, like abuse, and unintentional, like a, uh, an abandoning father. Although when my parents got divorced, they didn't wake up in the morning and said, let's hurt our children. They would never do that. But the impact of that divorce had a great pain. This is not to put anyone under consignment if you've experienced divorce. It's a matter of walking through it because there is many homes like mine that have every bit the toxicity and pain in the early years that come from just the way the interactions occur. The good news is this. The Lord will restore our souls from the affliction that we did not surrender at the day of spiritual salvation. You say, I thought that was under the blood. First of all, what does that mean, under the blood? We're not old covenant anymore, right? The blood of bulls and goats covering it under it. No, it's cleansed. We're cleansed. But the problem with violations against the soul are the fact that that's a sin of someone else against me. I can't cleanse their sin when I surrender to God, my sin, but the impact of their sin lays within my soul. And out of that, failing to heal that with the great physician means that there will be sin that will be born out of that. And here's how it happens. A person that's struggling, for instance, with uh, uh, depression. Depression is the sense of rejection over the soul. Do you know that rejection is this feeling of soul death? I don't have time to go into it. And when your soul feels detached from all humanity... We, we just read about Robin Williams. And, and uh, you know, a man that could make us laugh like no other with such wit. Yeah, here it is. How, how did, what did he do with comedy? It looked like he took his pain and made great success. From an outward appearance, he did. The adulation of the crowd was the medication. But there comes a point where the depression begins to override the medication of the adulation of the crowd. And we need to be restored internally. Because if we do not get restored eventually, that wound becomes an infected stronghold. And it's bigger than us. And without Christ, there is no hope. With Christ, though, we must be willing to bring him to the place of our infection in our soul. That's the place of our greatest need after he has forgiven our sin in the salvation of our spirit. You take a situation of lack of time, a detached heart, and you see that a person from that can feel as if they have no value. A person that's been verbally berated will often become very deceptive. They'll tell stories. They'll try to mitigate the impact of someone's critique upon them because a critique to them is someone who is stripping the value out of their soul. All of these things have source. Source leads to solution. If you know the source of fruit and going through and having the Holy Spirit awaken you, to what kind of fruit that might even be on that page that you have in front of you. So take a few moments, whether before you leave or when you get home, and I promise you this on the authority of Jesus Christ, if you're willing to realize that, you know what, I could get better here in my relationship, I see that I've got this kind of thing that interrupts or mitigates the, the fullness or the close impact that I could have, the close communion with those that I love the most, I could find the root to this and I could surrender that and let God pull up the root. See, up until recently, most counsel 
would try to go up that tree and cut off a limb. That's a symptom. The tree doesn't die. It comes back fuller. But what we do is we go underneath. We find the unseen root, and we ask the Holy Spirit to kill it by surrendering whatever bitterness holds that fast within us, and then God heals. Before I pray here, I want you to remember four things. We run from the pain. We cover the pain. We deny the pain, and we medicate the pain. None of those will restore our souls. Pain concealed is pain unhealed. And we're not talking about the sin right now. We're talking about the pain. Trusting God for the pain in the believing church is sometimes harder than trusting Him with the sin. And there's a number of reasons for that, one of which is if He wasn't there to stop it, why should I trust Him to heal it? We can give the old pat answer, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good, but Jesus gave us liberty to heal that pain, and the wounded person does not want to hear pat scriptural answers. They want someone who would get into that pain with them. Jesus wept openly, openly at the tomb of Lazarus, openly in Gethsemane, openly over the Mount of Jerusalem when the rebellion of the people, and openly on the cross, he said, my God. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was not sin for him to cry out in his pain. That was the liberty of his soul. And God would not sin by turning away. And that was the truth of the pain. God gave us the liberty to feel that pain. Jesus was an emblem of feeling that pain. How is it the believing church feels that they cannot, that they, that they can somehow heal without feeling that pain? So the answer when those four things don't satisfy is turning around and walking through the pain. And you know what the great physician does? He comes to us and says, when you're ready, we will get through this together. The surgeon would never come out with the man with cancer and say, get over it. Time will heal that wound. Time does not heal infected wounds. Time heals cleansed wounds. And the great, that physician that comes out and says, sir, ma'am, it's, it, you have cancer, but we're going to get through this together. Bitterness is the cancer of the soul, and it's the thing that binds the church. And the 12 spies were sent out. Ten came back with an evil report. You know why? Bitterness. Joshua and Caleb were free. That's why they got their mountains. You say, why did the ten spies believe? Bitterness causes you to look outward and says, I can't do it. Freedom says, I look inward. God's going to do it. Just a beautiful message we had right here at the offering. God's going to do it. And I believe that. The vision that each one of us has here, I don't see my vision. Bitterness creates a veil. It's right behind the veil. You walk through that. Let God restore your soul. That veil is ripped. And there is the vision he's set before you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would impact the truth that needs to be heard here. Not my truth, Lord, all your truth. Move away every distraction and everything that would hinder us. I rebuke every foul spirit in the name of Jesus Christ that would hinder in the binding and the blinding of, of the bitterness within our souls. We hate to look at it. We hate to see it. Your best prophets, priests, and kings all struggled with it. And they walked through it. And it's become an emblem of what you do in us from the day we were created. Bless each one here. I ask you as we have this final song 
to consider whether or not in the coming days we're going to have an encounter right here in Dallas, Fort Worth. It's just an evening and a day. And if you want to make a testament of the fact that I want to do this journey, do it in an emblem before God. Whatever you want to do, if you want to come forth and make that a testament, if you want to surrender to Him at your seat, if you want to stand there and just realize, God, I'm going to trust you for this. I pray, Lord, that you would have the liberty in your spirit that he has given you to walk through it to victory, restoration, and healing. In Jesus' name, amen.